Welcome to the Terry and Jesse Show. It's Monday morning. Father Charles Murph sitting in for Jess. Father Murph, thanks again for taking the time to share the gospel with our listeners. Terry, it is an honor and a privilege, sir. Well, I mean that. And, and, and it's right back at you. I, I get up every morning, and that's what I keep saying. I th- my morning offering, I say, oh, my gosh, thank you, Jesus. You're allowing me to share the gospel with people. I just love doing that. Father, we gonna, we're going to have a, a good show because we're going to talk about the circumcision and that Bishop Sheen's insights on the life of Christ that I think people might not have really thought much about. And so we'll get into that. But uh, before we do all of that, I wanted to just, and we get to the gospel, I wanted a good-to-know file. Uh, good-to-know file, Bishop Snyder, Athanasius Snyder, uh, just maybe a week ago, came out and spoke about a new catechism that Tan Books is publishing, and I'm ordering many copies myself, but people want to go to Tan Books, they can order their own copy of it. Uh, he quotes St. Pope Pius X saying that, the people thirst for truth. Let them be given what they need. In other words, catechize people. That hasn't changed. Yeah. And I like what Bishop Snyder said because it's very succinct. He said, the Catholic faith transcends popes and bishops because they are the one, they are the first ones who must obey the faith. And I thought, well, that makes sense, doesn't it, Father? Sure does. Yeah, sure so does. I appreciate Bishop. They're the, they're, they're, Terry, in other words, they're the ones who ought to know better. Yeah, yeah exactly. That means right? kind of like yeah. we parents in one sense, uh, we're passing on the faith to our kids. And here's the challenge. If the parents don't know the faith, how's the faith going to be passed on? And I'm going to say something that might embarrass you because you're wearing a Roman collar. In my lifetime, in my lifetime, I've met many men dressed like you who don't know the faith or even believe in the faith. I hate, hate to have to say that, Father Murr, but that's been my experience. They, they somehow, they, the faith didn't get passed in the seminary to them. What got passed on to them was more natural sciences, but not the supernatural. Am I on to something? Yeah, you are. And, and, and if I may, Terry, just uh, pick up on that. Yeah. Uh, something that bothered me an awful lot yesterday, I read what was that, that uh, His Holiness wants to uh, sort of not do away with, well, well, yeah, give more importance to lived theology rather than studied Liberation theology. theology. Right? Yeah, he, he did. I read the whole article. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, and this is this is the problem because because when when look when you study formally yeah. any science mm-hmm. you've got it with you yes but if you never study it you don't have it even to lose it <laughs> you, you can't even lose it you don't that's have right. it that's right you know for yeah. God's sake anyway well yeah that's sad yeah that's very sad but you know this is what's tri- uh, trickling down to the seminarians and to the priests and that's why. For me, and I just tell anybody right on the air, if you've got a priest or a seminarian, I'll give them the priest retreat by Fulton Sheen. I'll give them life is worth living because it's important that the priests know, not just know the faith, but love the faith. Because there's an old saying, the, the spirituality of the priest is passed yeah. on to the flock. And if the, if the priest is holy, that's people right. will be holy. All right. Well, that's, that's right. one more thing I want to... Just ask St. Ask St. John Vianney. Yeah, exactly. There's a good example. I want to also go uh, what I call need-to-know file. I got all excited because I heard 
a weeks ago that this was I got excited first of all going what in the world is Notre Dame allowing a a, uh, a drag show go, uh, to go on at their university and then when people were saying what's going on the bishop, the uh, president of the school and the official said well this is academic freedom to let someone do this is this this is Notre Notre Dame is permitting yeah. drag uh, drag queen show and they're not even Jesuits no no <laughs> that's a good joke oh. yeah oh. yes they're not they're not. And so here's the point. The students, not not old folks like us who are upset, the students, over 200 of the students, first of all, they had 1,400 students write letters to the president saying, knock it off. We don't want that at our Catholic school. This isn't, uh, shouldn't be happening. And then 200 plus students show up, you know, not protesting with, you know, uh, signs. Or, you know what they did? They got their rosaries out. I've got a picture of it in my hand. Kids folding their hands, oh, they're young fantastic. kids, and they're saying, look, we're not going to, we're going to make reparation for this sacrilege. Not only did they do that, they had the knowledge to go over to the chapel after they prayed their rosary and prayed songs of reparation to go make Eucharistic adoration. And the priest who was outside fantastic. the university came and did benediction for the young people. Now, Father... Fantastic. I, I, Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, you know what, Terry? I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. Yeah. And you know this. Yeah. You know this. That could not, that would not have taken place even 15 years ago. You're right. You're absolutely right. Because that, I remember. But what I mean to say is, what I mean to say, not, not the, just the drag queen garbage. Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. But I mean the, the reaction. Yeah. The, re the reaction yeah. of students yeah. would not have taken place 15 years ago, which, which helps me to think. Yes. And leads There's me hope. to think. That something is good is happening. A lot of people are waking are waking yes. up. They're waking up, Terry. I couldn't. Agree I mean that more with you. That that's exactly my point. That I really am convinced that things are going to change. All right, so we keep moving forward. Now let's uh, let's bring the gospel in, and I'll read the gospel for you, Father. It's a simple one. Uh, it's the Gospel of Luke, chapter eighteen, verse 30, thirty-five to forty-three. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging and hearing a crowd going to be by, he inquired, what was happening? They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He shouted, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. The people walking in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he kept calling out all the more, son of David, have pity on me. Then Jesus stopped and ordered that he be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He replied, Lord, please let me see. Jesus told him, Have sight, your faith has saved you. He immediately received his sight and followed him, giving glory to God. When they saw this, all the people gave praise to God. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Father, your take on that? Another, well, uh, another, another one of our Lord's miracles. Yeah. And I, I would underscore this yes. about those miracles. Okay. The miracles in the life of our Lord are essential mm -hmm. to understanding who Christ is. You remember, Terry, a while back, I explained to you, uh, the Gnostics, I believe, I'm, I'm explaining to you, you knew better than I do no, what the Gnostics are. Sure, sure. But the Gnostics, the Gnostics, and also the Deists, uh, and, and uh, 
and the, many of the Diaz were Freemasons, yep, that's which is right. And what they did, and and the, those are the those are the uh, the uh, the, fir, the the how what would you call it the ancestors the ancestors to modernism. I agree. They're right to, to what we're suffering from today, yeah. modernism. Yes. And what did they do? One of the first things they did was to deny all of the miracles of Christ. Exactly right. I, uh, Thomas Jefferson, an otherwise rather intelligent man, mm -hmm. an otherwise intelligent man, <laughs> took a razor blade yeah. and cut out all of the miracles of Christ from his Bible. Wow. On each page, he, he cut them out so, so that his Bible ended up looking. You can still see his Bible somewhere, the King wow. James Version of it it's somewhere. Uh, it looked like Swiss cheese. <laughs> and it just, you know, that's it. But he took out everything that had to do with the miracles of Christ and with the divinity of Christ. And he said, this is the real Christ. Well, that's uh, hogwash. Of course. of course. That's not the real Christ. The real Christ is divine. The real Christ worked miracles to show us who need to see. This man was blind from birth. We all need to see. Even those who could see needed to see. The miracles that Christ that Christ brought forth, and 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 it's, why is that? Because it's a proof of His divinity. You can't do those miracles, Derry, and I know you're a good man. <laughs> I can't do them at all. I've tried. I've tried. They just don't work, Terry. But you know, Christ did them, and <laughs> He did. And, and you know, Father, what you just said, and everyone was astonished. Yeah, everyone was astonished. Because they knew these people who were who were who were blind from birth. They knew these people who were crippled, right? Absolutely. You know, Father, when you were speaking, what came to my mind is nothing new under the sun. We're doing the same thing right now. People are trying to take parts of the Bible out, especially when it comes to sexual morality. And I love sure. I love this line. God is not going to rewrite the Bible for your generation. So stop trying to change scripture. When it is written to change you. So that's the situation we're in again. You got the Father James Martins who say Romans wrong when it comes to homosexuality. We've got cardinals even saying that. So I think we have to go back to that biblical world view that many of us have had uh, for the church. Terry, 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 it reminds me of that old philosopher W.C. Fields. Oh, yeah. In, in, in one of his films, in one of his films, he was in a park yeah. with his wife and he looked down at an hour, a, a sundial. Yeah. Right. Yep. And then he checked and then he checked his pocket watch. Yep. And he said to his wife, the sundial is off by two minutes. <laughs> and his wife, his wife looked at him and said, that's right. The sun is wrong. You're Pocket watch is right. The sun is wrong. I love it. Well, this is the same thing applied here. Right. You're you know, that's right. Christ is wrong. Christ is wrong. The apostles are wrong. The evangelists are wrong. St. Paul is wrong. They're all wrong who wrote this marvelous book that changed the history of the world. You're right. They're all wrong. How, what, what, what audacity. Exactly. What audacity. Nothing's changed. We'll be back before on the Terry and Jesse show. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. My Monday morning cup of coffee is with Father Charles Murr, and I don't even drink coffee. I drink iced tea, but that's all right. 
Father Murr, I wanted to bring the smartest guy into the room, Archbishop Fulton Sheen, uh, but he's got a friend with him, and his friend is Pope Pius X. And sometimes Bishop Sheen and saints come together and have conversations, and I'm going to visualize a conversation that Pope Pius X had with Bishop Sheen about our situation down on planet Earth. Uh, Pope Pius X made this statement about shepherds. You're a priest. You've been a pastor. You're a shepherd of souls. And here's what Bishop Sheen and Pope Pius X were talking about, a statement that the Pope said back over 120 years ago. He said, How I tremble to think that souls can be punished for all eternity on the account of the negligence of their pastor. That innocent people can be led from the path of truth because the words of the inspired text were never preached to them. Oh my gosh. And that the spirit of the world and of our time, especially, should pour into ill instructed minds for want of a firm hand to check its tide. The Holy Father said this, Pope Pius X. I have a sacred duty to defend the truth openly. For God will ask me to render an account for all those souls who have strayed into the way of perdition. Father Murr, when I read that from Pope Pius X, I thought, I think this should be on every mm. everybody's desk, especially priests, to read that. I would think you would tremble on the responsibility that our shepherds have for the salvation of souls because, let's be honest, what does canon law say at the end? The purpose of the church is for one purpose, the salvation of souls. Your thoughts? We should be trembling. Yeah. That's, that's my thought. We should be trembling. Yeah. There, <clears throat> there is St. There is Alphonse Liguori also was a great moral theologian. Doctor of the church, I might he's, add. He's, he's a doctor of the church, certainly. He's almost the he's he's considered the father of modern moral theology, mm-hmm. right? He would be very unpopular today. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. But Father, can I just keep, make a note here? Father, his books right now of Saint Alphonsus Liguori are being republished and are very popular, and I think they're very popular because he needs ostensibly on moral principles. He said. We're, we're getting a bad connection with Father, so I'm going to try and get his connection back. I was just mentioning that St. Alphonsus Liguori's books that were written in the 17th century are coming back in publication, and people are buying them. And I think it's the same situation with the Notre Dame students. People are waking up to the perennial teachings of the church through the saints yes. and are saying, wow, this is good. We got you back on online, Father. Go ahead. You were saying. Yeah, well, my, my point of, of, of St. Alphonsus Liguori, I remember being struck by something he said, mm-hmm. and it was very powerful. He said in the, con- speaking of the confessional, yeah, which which is also something we've got to get back to, and we've got to get back to it pretty darn soon, all right? Yes, sir. Uh, he said in the, in the con- look, when a preach, when a priest preaches yes. at a Sunday mass, a homily, a sermon, yes, that's, that's marvelous. He's giving a general instruction, mm-hmm. but it's in the confessional where he can really help individuals with with struggling or who need answers to questions that's where great spiritual advice comes from amen and alphonse Liguori said 
a priest of God, be very careful what you say and what you don't say to these moral questions. Because if you forgive someone's sins, telling him or her that it is not a sin, you, you not forgive, you dismiss it. Yes. You are the one responsible to pay for that. Wow. Wow. Before God. You you will be the one. You'll be held responsible. I don't think, Terry, I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't think the majority of priests believe that. I, I, I don't believe that. I don't believe that they believe that. Yeah. Because it, we could not be doing what we're doing. We couldn't be saying what we're saying and acting the way some of us are acting. If we believe that, it's well, just that simple. What Bishop Joseph Strickland, who has a show here on our network, said to me that, and he said it right on the air, I really question not only priests, but many of our bishops have lost the supernatural faith yeah. and they've gone to a natural level and they don't see it as coming from like divine revelation. They almost just see this as the boys club and, you know, whatever you want to do is yes. fine with me. And Fulton J. Sheen, getting back to the protagonist of this show, of this program, Fulton J. Sheen said something that to me made all of the sense in the world when I first heard it. And I first heard it when I was about 26 years old. I told you when I made a retreat with him on those tapes that those tapes that you have. Right. He said he said, you know, seeing all of this, all of this on the part of the clergy Mm -hmm. he's talking for specifically two priests, you might wonder why they stay in. Yeah, exactly. He said, you might wonder why they remain in the priesthood, why they stay in when there's all of the possibility of leaving, which is much more, which much easier today than it ever was. Yes. He said, now give you the answer to that. He said, the church for many of them is a comfortable little haven. Yep, of course. Yeah, they got they got three squares a day, rent paid. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. So don't stand up in the boat. Don't rock the boat. Don't just just sail through. Be calm. You know, tell people what they want to hear. Yeah, people love to people love to have you tell them what they want to hear. Well, you know, Monsignor William Smith, an old moral theologian who's gone to his eternal rest. Oh, great, a great, great man. You know great he, man. Yeah, you know what he said about that topic, which I'll never forget, uh, listening to cassette tapes of his moral theology class that he taught at the seminary. He said, the problem with us priests, he said, um, most of us want the people to like us. We want to be liked. Yes. Yeah. And he said, that's a problem. He said, because we'll compromise the truth just to be feeling like, yes. oh, people like us because we make them feel good. And he told them, don't do it. You give them what they need to hear because it's revealed truth. And I just really respect him because, again, I get it, Father, that you are a, a celibate priest. I get it that, you know, your family is there at the parish. And, you know, you you, you have that tendency to be, everybody, hey, Father, how are you? You're doing good. I love you. Uh, but when you tell people the truth, sometimes, like I said, our Lord uh, said, you know, that that he's going to give people the truth over making people feel good. I'll never forget Father Bill Casey from the Fathers of Mercy saying, the most merciless thing you can do for someone is to let them wallow in their sin. So meaning someone who's living in adultery, uh, in adultery are you still going to say, hey, Frank, how are you? Keep it up with uh, your adultery. I, no, you're going to say, Frank, brother, I love you so much. you got to knock this off. you got to get back to your wife, dude. And 
you know, this is something. And you know what? You know what, Terry? Terry, let me let me just jump in. add something to what you're saying. Yeah. If if you're if you're not in a position, if there are others around or what have you, the circumstances are not such that you can actually correct somebody, right? Or offer offer to hear him sure. to hear him explain this, right? Yeah. At least don't show agreement. Exactly. You know, like I, you'll you'll run into people who. You've got people who are now. Okay, we're having another bad connection here on your comment. Married, they're shacked up, they're living together. Yes. This man who's, who's being. Yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna try this. No, you're you're right. If they're living together and they're telling you, "Hey, isn't it great?" and you go, "Yeah, I bet it must be really really good." What? You can't say that. No, exactly. You can't, you, and and you don't have to get on a high horse and preach. No, you don't. But you, but but there there are ways of showing disapproval. That's right. There's no, there's not a mother and a, or, and or a father in this world worth his or her salt. Yeah. Who couldn't give a who couldn't give a look to their children at the dinner table? Yeah. That quieted the whole situation. Exactly. So, so we, we know how to do that when we want to. Sure. Well, we should also we should also not be just saying, "Oh, that's the way he lives. That's that's no problem. That's real." No, that, that is a problem, and you yeah. shouldn't be, you shouldn't be showing agreement with it. At least that. At least that. Yep. Well said. Well, now we're going to go right into our book, uh, "The Life of Christ" by Fulton J. Sheen. Again, people can buy it. I know I got my copy from Word on Fire Classics. I'm. I believe that it's uh, published there. I have a uh, hardbound. I like the hardbound rather than the softbound. And uh, we're covering right now the circumcision. And I'll just review chapter uh, two of Luke of what we're talking about. And then let Bishop Sheen give us some insights on that. Let's see. We've got, yeah, we've got three minutes before the break. So when eight, eight days had passed and the boy must be circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name which the angel had given him before ever he was conceived in the womb. So Bishop Sheen talks about circumcision was the symbol of the covenant between God and Abraham and his seed and took place on the eighth day. And I love baptism, uh, the circumcision and baptism connection, but here's what Bishop Sheen says. Circumcision presumed that a person circumcised was a sinner the babe was now taking the sinner's place isn't that interesting no. something he was to do all through his life yes circumcision was a sign and a token of membership in the body of israel see how it ties into baptism you'll see mere human birth did not bring a child into the body of god's chosen people Another rite was required, as recorded in the book of Genesis. And then I'll read Genesis, and then I'll turn it over to Father. Then God, and this is Genesis chapter 17, verse 9 to 11. Then God said to Abraham, Thou too shalt observe this covenant of mine. Thou and the race thou shalt follow thee, generation after generation. This is the covenant you shall keep with me, Thou and thine, every male child of yours shall be circumcised. Father Murr? Yeah, well, the, the, the uh, connection that this has to baptism is, is obvious. Yes. It's obvious. As, as, a matter, as a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, mm -hmm. 
In the olden days, children were baptized at one week. My kids. At eight days. Can I tell you something? Guess what I did yeah. for all my kids the eighth day? Yeah, that's, because, yeah, that's exactly the way it is. Yeah, yeah. So that's exactly the way it is. And and this is the sign that this is the sign that God required of his people that they be his people, yeah. that they be circumcised. Yeah. They were marked for life yeah. as his. Right? And, yeah. And Bishop Sheen says it right in the next paragraph. Circumcision is the Old Testament was a prefiguring of baptism in the New Testament. Both symbolize a renunciation of the flesh with its sins. We'll get more into this about the tie-in with circumcision and baptism that Fulton Sheen has on the life of Christ. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show. Father Murr, Terry Barber are here on Monday. We're too blessed to be stressed. You've got it. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money, Father Murr and I, we'd be billionaires because our trust is in Jesus Christ. Stay with us, family. We'll be back with more on the Terry and Jesse Show. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. You know, I hope you have as much fun as I do and Father Murr has studying our Catholic faith. I mean, I really mean it. It is What I love about it is these insights that we get of things that are so important in our life and how they apply because life is short. Eternity is forever. Father's got a few years on me, but we're both rounding third base. It's just a short time before we get to have our, our particular judgment. So we're talking about the tie-in with baptism and circumcision. And Bishop Sheen says, Both symbolize a renunciation of the flesh with its sins. The first was done by wounding the body. The second, by cleansing the soul. What an interesting comment there. The, uh, he says, The first incorporated a child into the body of Israel. The second incorporates a child into the body of the new Israel or the church. The term circumcision was later used in Scripture to reveal the spiritual significance of applying the cross to the flesh through self-discipline, something that our world has forgotten. Moses, in the book of Deuteronomy, clearly spoke of circumcising the heart. Jeremiah also used the same expression. St. Stephen, in his last address before being killed, told his hearers that they were uncircumcised in heart and in ears. By submitting to this rite, which he need not have done, because he was sinless, the Son of God, made man steadfast, satisfied the demands of his nation, just as he was to keep all other Hebrew regulations. He kept the Passover, he observed the Sabbath, he went up to the feast, see, he obeyed the old law until the time came for him to fulfill it by realizing the spiritualization, its shadowy prefigurements of God's uh, dispensation. In the circumcision of the divine child, Bishop Sheen said there was a dim suggestion of the hint of Calvary. Wait till you hear this. I remember hearing him on a priest retreat talk about this. He says, the shadow of the cross was already hanging over a child of eight days old. He would have seen, he would have had seven blood sheddings, of which this was the first. Now check these out. These are meditations on the rosary. Bishop Sheen says, 
says this, the others being the agony in the garden, the scourging, the crowning with thorns, and the way of the cross, the crucifixion, and the piercing of his heart. But whenever there was a indication of Calvary, there was also some sign of glory. And it was at that moment when he was anticipating Calvary by shedding his blood that the name of Jesus was bestowed on him. What a connection that Bishop Sheen makes the connection on. <clears throat> wow, a child only eight days old, Bishop Sheen says, was already beginning the bloody shedding that would fulfill his perfect manhood. <clears throat> the cradle was tinged with circumcision, a token of Calvary. The precious blood that was beginning its long pilgrimage. Did you think of that? I mean, this is something that's profound. Within an octave of his birth, Christ obeyed a law which he himself was the author. That's powerful too. A law which was to find its last application in him. There's been, he says, there had been sin in human blood and now blood was already being poured out to do away with sin. As the east catches at the sunset the colors of the west, so does circumcision reflect Calvary. Wow, Father Murr. Bishop Sheen, just, yeah, yeah. I mean, did you ever think of circumcision? This is, and then tying it to life of Christ, that this was all part of God's plan. It's amazing. The first, if, if you can, if you look at circumcision for what it is, mm -hmm. the first shedding of a, of a, yeah. of a male child's blood. Yes. Yes. So, this so is this is the beginning of, of his dying. This is the, the beginning of the path toward Calvary. Exactly. Right? That's what's so powerful. That Calvary. That's so powerful. He says, yeah. "Must he begin redeeming?" And also something else, Terry. Tell me, also Father. something else that. Tell me. Right, we're still having a, a little bit of a connection problem. Let me just continue then, Bishop. Also, okay. also something else that. Tell me. We're having a bad connection. I'm I'm sorry. That's okay. Go ahead. I, I think I think now. we can hear you now. I, the, the, another thing that's very important that Sheen just brought up, yeah. in, and you read it, yeah. was that he is the author of law. Exactly. <laughs> Christ, is, Christ is the author of the law. That's right. Humanity yeah. as obedient to, what, to the law that he himself is author of. Yep. This is fantastic. Oh, it is. And you know, Father, we're still having you a little want, bit you maybe, maybe you can try to get connected again, Richard, with our... That's with humility. It, it is humility, and humility is truth. Now, he said, must he begin redeeming all at once? Cannot the cross wait? <laughs> this is amazing. There will be plenty of time for it, coming straight from the Father's arms to the arms of his heaven, his earthly mother. He is carried in her arms in his first Calvary. Can you imagine that statement, Father Murr, with the Blessed Mother carrying Jesus in her arms and thinking, wow, yeah. Calvary's coming after. I mean, wow. Many years later, he will be taken from her arms again. And as and as to and as to the question, and as to the question, and as to the question, shouldn't this wait? What's the rush? Yeah, it it waited for centuries. Yes, it's it already waited for centuries. Yes, this is now the moment. Yeah, it's a great meditation. So when we pray our rosary, you might think about some of that with the circumcision uh, with Jesus, and just keep that in mind. Um, 
I'd like to shift gears with the presentation in the temple, another meditation of the rosary. At Bethlehem, remember Bethlehem means house of bread. Jesus is the bread of life. He had been in exile at the circumcision, an anticipated Savior. Now at the presentation, he became a sign to be contradicted. As Jews, as Jesus was circumcised, so Mary was purified, though he needed not the first because he was God, and she needed not the second because this is important. She was conceived without sin. And I'll read from Luke chapter 2, verse 22. <clears throat> and when the time came, had come for purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him before the Lord there. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, uh, the thing, too, about about Mary being conceived without sin yeah. is so important because she's going to give Christ his his, his human nature. Of course. And, and, and many people many people say, well, isn't that unnatural? Why why Mary? And, and what makes her so special? That, what do you mean, what makes her so special? What are you kidding <laughs> me? God, man, give me a break. Can you imagine the mother of God? What makes her so special? <laughs> I, I remember, I've got to laugh, Jerry. I remember going, going to Mass uh, on the Feast of the Holy Family. Yeah. With my grandmother and grandfather. <clears throat> I, I told you sometimes I stayed the weekends with them. We're come, After Mass, my grandmother came, was walking back home, and she she said to somebody who was with her, another woman, she said, turned and said, you know, sometimes I get tired of those two with their one perfect child. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, Father, talking about stories, Bishop Sheen was on a train traveling, and there was an Anglican priest, and they started t discussing uh, orders and just different things uh, about the faith. And one thing before he got off the, uh, the train, the Anglican priest said, well, let me tell you something, Father. <clears throat> you know, um, you guys make such a big deal about the Blessed Mother. Uh, I got to tell you, uh, there's no difference between my mother and, and Jesus's mother. And uh, Bishop Sheen looks at the priest, the Anglican priest, and says, well, that's what you say, but there's a huge difference between the sons. You're the, your mother's son. Uh, the son of Mary was Jesus Christ, the incarnate God. So I thought that was a great way to... Yeah, a little, a little, bit, little bit of a difference. A little just bit of a, a little, buddy? Wow. Hey, Father, yeah. we're, we're going to take a quick break in a minute, but I also want to always plug books with you because I, I know you don't uh, do it, and so I have to do it for you. People can buy, uh, you've published so many books. If they just go to charlesmurr.com, is that how people can get your books? Yes, yes. And they just go to the section on books, yeah. click it, and you can get them there. I would recommend, sure. not because I wrote it, but because it's a really good book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the Godmother. Oh, yeah. And the, the latest right. that I have is the series. The Godmother is very good. Yeah. Tells you, it tells you an awful lot about the inner workings of Pius XII's Vatican. Yes. It's very good. Yes. And so when we come back, we'll continue on talking uh, about the uh, circumcision and we'll talk about Bishop Sheen's insights to the presentation of the temple and much more. This is the Life of Christ book that we're going through. And again, why do we do this? Because everybody needs to know the life of Christ. They got to get to know who Jesus Christ is. Because if, uh, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your faith will not grow. That's as simple as that. You need to have a relationship with him. And I can't think of a better relationship 
with the sacraments, especially with the Holy Eucharist and uh, confession, encountering the person of Christ with his with humility and repentance, because it, it's there. But, you know, our Lord is always knocking on my door and on Father's door and everybody's door to say, come, come. But he allows us free will. See, nobody's being, this isn't being forced upon you. You get to say yes. Terry, you know, Terry, you know, you know, do you remember the name of your first catechism? Baltimore Catechism. Number Baltimore one. Catechism. Yeah. Well, we had the Baltimore Catechism, but it was in another form. Oh. And the first book that we got in first grade was Jesus and I. I didn't know that. Yeah, Jesus and I. It was the Baltimore Catechism. But the title was Jesus and I. Beautiful title. And it was the, 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 yes, well, that's what we're doing right now. Yeah. We're trying to invite people to know Christ, yes. to know Jesus. Jesus Christ, and and by knowing Him, to have faith in Him, and but you're not going to have faith without knowing exactly without that. knowing who He is. You just not. And this is why I tell everybody: you have to ask Jesus Christ for more faith every single day, every day. Are you doing that, folks? If you're not, say, hey, you know what? I'm going to start doing that today. All right. When we come back, we'll continue on the presentation of the Temple with Bishop Sheen's commentary from his book, The Life of Christ. Again, I encourage everyone to get a copy of The Life of Christ. My copy is taken from the Word on Fire Classics, Father Robert Barron's organization, a hardbound book. You should get that. We'll come back with more. Stay with us, family. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Welcome back. Father Charles Murray. Monday sitting in for Jess Romero. We're talking about the presentation of the temple uh, with commentary by who and better Archbishop Fulton Sheen. And, you know, he says the fact of sin in human nature underlined not only by the necessity of enduring pain to expiate for its circumcision, but also by the need of purification. Bishop Sheen says ever since Israel had been delivered from the bondage of the Egyptians, after the firstborn of the Egyptians had been slain, the firstborn of the Jews had always been looking upon as one dedicated to God. Forty days after his birth, which was the appointed time for a male child, according to the law, Jesus was brought to the temple. Exodus decreed that the firstborn belonged to God. In the book of Numbers, the tribe of Levi was set up part for priestly function. And this priestly dedication was understood as a substitute for the sacrifice of the firstborn, a rite which, which was never practiced. Isn't that interesting? But when the divine child <clears throat> was taken to the temple by Mary, the law of the consecration of the firstborn uh, was observed in its fullness, for this child's dedication to the Father was absolute, it would lead him where? To the cross. We find here another instance of how God, in the form of man, shared the poverty of mankind. Bishop Sheen says the traditional offering for purifications were a lamb and a turtle dove if the parents were rich and the two doves or two pigeons if they were poor. Thus, the mother who brought the Lamb of God into the world had no lamb to offer except the Lamb of God. What a great insight. Oh, my goodness. God was presented in the temple at the age of 40 days. About 30 years later, he would claim the temple 
and use it as the symbol of his body in which dwelt the fullness of divinity. Here it was not the firstborn of Mary alone who was presented, but the firstborn of the eternal Father as the only begotten of the Father. He was now presented as the firstborn of a restored humanity. A new race began in him. Hey, Father, that, that's, that's something to think about, isn't it? Wow. It is. It is. A lot of it is. Wow. And, um, and listen, Tell let me, me just go back to something. We were, we were interrupted by this bad connection, yes. this poor yes. connection that I have. Go ahead. Let me just go back to something that was in the circumcision and also in the presentation. Yes. The, the role of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Let's get into that. Uh, here, people who have problems with with Mary are not following Scripture. Very well said. Because because Mary is the new Eve. Amen. And and you remember Terry that Eve was created without sin. That's right. Yes. All right. Only yes. after the only after the fall. Yes. After the fall, was she in sin? Right. She was not created in sin, nor was Adam created in sin. Right. And now to begin this new order, the, the order of grace, God is bringing in a new woman, a new mother of the living without sin. Beautiful. And she's giving birth to a new Adam without sin. Right, this is what this is why this is important. Right. Yes. Also, also when they come to the temple after at forty days. Isn't it amazing? After our Lord spent also forty days in the desert, yes. one of the one of the one of the temptations that that the devil gives him is uh, is the temple. Mm -hmm. huh? He brought him up to on top of the temple, right? The same the, the same temple where, in which he was he was uh, purified as a child. Right. right. But here's the thing too: when Simeon takes the child in his arms. Mm -hmm. For this purification. Mm -hmm. What does he say? He looks at the mother. He doesn't look to St. Joseph. He doesn't have a dialogue with Joseph. He has a dialogue with the mother. Absolutely. He has a dialogue with his mother. That's correct. We're, we lost Father Murr, but I'm sure he'll be right back. When, this is something that uh, well, I call a world biblical view. And sometimes our Protestant brothers have... Because Joseph is not the, the child's father. That's right. Mary is the child. And, and, and then he said these words to, to, uh, to the Blessed Virgin. Yes. A sword shall pass through your soul yep. also. Right. In Greek, the word also is there. I don't know why St. Jerome didn't put it in the Latin in the Latin translation. Mm -hmm. But in the original Greek is, a sword shall pass through your soul also. Isn't that incredible? When was a sword, when was a sword passed through Christ's heart, his soul, yes. at the, the lancing? Exactly. And if you don't think, and if you don't think that his mother who was standing next oh. to him, oh, yeah. If, if you don't think that a sword went through her soul at that very moment, of course it did. you've got another guest coming. You don't know anything about humanity, and you know nothing about women, and you know nothing about the great the tie that mother has to son. You, have, you know nothing. This is what Simeon is saying right from the beginning. You, too, are going to have a sword pierce your 
soul. Our Lady of Soul. Wow. Yeah, I think. So this is this yeah. is the prophecy. Yep. It's fantastic. And again, you know, we don't really think a lot about this. This is probably people listening going, man, I haven't thought about that in, in a long time, if I ever thought about that. But do you see how that relates to us as followers of Christ? Look what uh, Our Lady did for us. Look what the blessed, uh, the, our blessed Lord did. And uh, I mean, this is just tremendous insights when it comes to reading the life of Christ. And that's why I encourage all of us to read this book, The Life of Christ. Father, we've got a, just a couple more minutes. What else would you like to share on this topic with us? Well, you know, you know, Terry, you know what we're doing, basically, you and I? Yeah. In, in the olden days, as we used to say, in the olden days, yeah. it's like having nothing to do on a Saturday evening and you take out the family album. Yeah. And you start going through pictures. And remember this and remember that. And he said this and yeah. she did that. Yep. Yeah. This is what this is what we're doing with the life of Christ. That's good. And once you did that, once once you did that, we did that often enough with picture albums. Yeah. People don't even know what picture albums are any longer. Yeah. True. <laughs> they were folders, big, big fat folders that you had all of the all of the snapshots yep. of the family. And when you got done going through those, especially with your mother and father present, or mother or father, someone older, part of your family. They explained who was who. Exactly. This is your, this is your great grandfather. You never knew him. This is this this is the, and all of a sudden when that album was closed, you knew who you were more than you did before it was opened. So true. Right. You knew your history. You yeah. knew you, who you were. Your history. This is what we're trying to do, and this is why why Fulton Jean wrote the Life of Christ. He wants this to be a family album. He wants people to to invite people open, know who this man is because he's your brother. It's fantastic. And Father, fantastic. you just gave a great analogy. I want to wrap this show up by talking about uh, how individual people here are listening and how this applies to us in the age that we're living in of confusion, that we do know the life of Christ. We do know what our Lord expects out of us. And the idea that uh, we have people in the church who have compromised the faith. Yes, we pray for their, for them, but it really shouldn't affect us uh, in our relationship with Christ. And what I encourage people to do is not so much focus on the problems in the church. Spend more time on your personal holiness. Spend time getting to know Jesus Christ. And when you see these people who are in the church who are not focusing on what is most important, maybe they're they're focusing on saving plastic bottles. Okay, I get it. Or cans and recycling and saving the earth. I get all that. I'll, I got. I, I recycle. But I want to spend more of my time, and I think the church has always done that for two thousand years, on spending time to introduce people to the person of Christ. So my suggestion, and I want to hear yours, is spend more time getting to know the person of Christ. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, also, you keep keep this in mind, Terry. Yes, Father. And this this is a this is a little bit frightening for me. It's frightening. Yeah. On Judgment Day, yeah. on Judgment Day, I am going to be asked by God Almighty, mm -hmm. not what I think of so and so, exactly. And what did so? What did this one do? And what did that one do? And who did? But no, I'm going to be asked what I did. Exactly. What I did with the talents that God gave me. Amen. Because 
my talents, the talents given to me are completely different. They're not completely different, but they are different yeah. to different degrees yes. than anybody else's talents in the world. From the beginning of the world to now, no one is me. I am unique. And God made me. You know, you know, Father, we're still getting a bad connection. He's going to say, yeah. with that uniqueness, answer me what you did with that. Well said. Jen Henry Newman, St. John Henry Newman said that God has given each person a particular... Can you hear me now? Yeah, in a minute. I, you remind me of what St. John Henry Newman said, that God has given each person a particular job that he hasn't given to anyone else, and that God is expecting us to do that right. job that he's right. ordained us to do. So, uh, yeah, you're back on. Finish up, Father. I can hear you now. No, it's just that. Look, he made me unique. Yep. I am unique. Yep. And he's going to uniquely ask me what I did with all of the talents that he That's gave right. me uniquely. That's right. All right now he, and he's not going to ask me, what do you think Flutzi Dooley thinks? What do you think of this one What that he did? No, that's not even going to be there. It's me. What did you do? Yeah. Yep. How, how did? How much did you love me? Yeah. You. Right. Well. Well said. And, and we that's, all, that's what I have. Yeah. And that's and that's again, life is short. Eternity is forever. Uh, I don't care if you're five years old or 50 or 105. Life is short compared to eternity. And so this is why. We have to ask ourselves, are we taking the time in our life to know the person of Christ? Because we got the world, the devil, and the flesh that's distracting us. Father Murrah, I hear the music. Can we get a blessing from you, please? And Father Murrah, what state should we be living in? Have you taken time to remember why you were in the state of grace? There you go. All right. We had a little technical problem, but we're making it. And again, remember, folks... Our Lady of Fatima said souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray and make sacrifices. Hey, offer up your day every day. What a novel idea. And what does it do for you? It gives you merit because what you do now will affect you for all eternity. Think about that every day. And I think that you will avoid sins because you know these sins will lead you away from God potentially for all eternity. Stay close to Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament. Stay close to His Blessed Mother. Pray your rosary. Get the confession at least once a month. Your spiritual fitness trainer here, Terry Barber with Father Charles Murr. Why do I say that? Because that's what I do every couple weeks because I'm a bigger sinner than you. I need to go out more often than you. But I want to thank everyone for supporting us here. God bless you.